0: Good morning. Our second reading is from Romans, chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Good morning, and before our last look at Romans 8 in this series, let me lead us in prayer. Father, you know all our circumstances, needs, hopes and fears, Please speak into them through your word, so that we may live in them by faith in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, browsing online recently, I came across various Mother's Day card quotes, which you may identify with. For example, being a mum isn't easy. If it was, dads would do it. Or silence is golden unless you have young children, in which case it's suspicious. Moving up the age range, when you have teenagers, get a dog as well. That way, someone in the house is glad to see you. And finally, two definitions of a mother. A mother is someone who, seeing there are only three pieces of cake for four people, says she never liked cake anyway. And for those who've left home, a mother is the person you can always call to ask how long chicken lasts in the fridge. There's a lot of joy and goodness to take stock of on Mother's Day, but it's bittersweet as well, because I realise I'm speaking to people who would love to have been mums, but haven't been, uh, or can't be, and to people who've had children, at least in the womb, and then lost them, and to mums for whom motherhood has been painful, and to children who've now lost their mums. And that's only one area of our lives. Add in health problems, job worries, unwanted singleness, marriage difficulties, bereavement, and so on, with a global pandemic on top, and it's easy to feel that things are against us. And from there, it's easy to wonder whether God might actually be against us, at its mildest to wonder whether he really cares about it, and at its worst to wonder whether he really just has it in for us. And so at the end of Romans 8, the Apostle Paul answers the question, Is God really for us? And in verse 31, he says this. What then shall we say to these things, the things we've seen in Romans 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? And when Paul says, if God is for us, he means if, as is actually the case. In other words, since God is for us, because God is for us. And that is his four-word summary of Romans 8 and really of the gospel. If we are trusting in Jesus... God is for us. But because we're often tempted to doubt that, Romans 8 ends by assuring us that it's true. And the first assurance here to those trusting in Jesus is this God is for us, so nothing can really be against us. So in Romans 8, Paul has talked about the two things that most tempt us to think God is against us, and they are our suffering and our sin because our suffering tempts us to think that God must be against us and our sin tempts us to think that he ought to be so before we see how paul speaks into that let me ask you two questions so that we have real things in mind as we come to this part of god's word so question 1 how are circumstances against you right now how are things or people going against you have a moment to answer that to yourself And then question two, how are you against you right now? By which I mean, what sins are you holding against yourself, condemning yourself for, uh, refusing to forgive yourself for? Have a moment to answer that to yourself as well. So now listen to verse 31 again what then shall we say to these things if i.e., since god is for us who can be against us and paul wasn't being naive as if he thought there was no one and nothing against us in the christian life he knew that circumstances can be against us and he's going to mention some pretty hard ones in a few verses time he knew that people can be against us from hostile non-christian family members to secular campaigners and lawmakers he knew that our consciences can be against us in self-condemnation. And he knew that Satan is always against us, rubbing our noses in our failures and making us feel even more condemned and guilty and despairing about whether we can really be forgiven. So what he means in verse 31 is, since God is for us, who or what can really be against us in any way that does us ultimate harm? And that's a question expecting the answer, no one and nothing. Paul's not denying that people and circumstances and Satan uh, can hurt us and make things hard for us. But he's saying, since God is for us, they can't do us any ultimate harm. So verse 31 again. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he reminds us of the ultimate proof that God is for us. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So verse 32 is the verse to preach to yourself when circumstances are against you and tempting you to think that God is too. Like when I lose my job or apply for one and don't get it. Doesn't he know what I need? Or like when I long for and pray for marriage and nothing happens. Doesn't he understand me? And so on. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, isn't it unthinkable that having been for us in meeting our greatest need at the cross, he could now be against us failing to meet our lesser needs? If he was for me at the cross, giving me the greatest thing, won't he also be for me in giving me all the lesser things? Uh, Not all the things I might want, but all the things he knows I really need. And not, not necessarily when I think I need it, but when he knows I need it. And that's not an answer, in inverted commas, to all the why questions like, why did I have to wait so long for marriage? Or why does it seem that marriage isn't his plan for me? Or why do we have to wait so long for children? Or why is it that children of our own don't seem to be his plan for us? It's not an answer in inverted commas to all the why questions. It's an attitude of faith rooted at the cross that enables us to live with the unanswered why questions. So verse 32 is the verse for when circumstances are against you. And then verses 33 to 34 are the verses to preach to yourself when you are against you and tempted to think that God ought to be as well. So just think about when you're holding sin against yourself, condemning yourself, refusing to forgive yourself and projecting that onto God, convincing yourself that he ought to be against you as well because of what is on your conscience. As some of you know, I had a broken engagement in my 20s. Uh, It was my fault. Uh, I broke it off and it's always felt like the worst thing I've done to someone else. And it plunged me into doubt for some time as to whether that really could be forgiven as i had been forgiven for other things before. After all, does there not come a point where you've sinned up one too big or the same one too often to be forgiven? And verses 33 to 34 are what you need to preach to yourself in that case. 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, those he's chosen to bring to faith in Jesus. It is God who justifies. In other words, it's God who says in the gospel that I am forgiven through what Jesus did for me on the cross. So I need to stop projecting onto him my own inability to forgive myself. 34. Who is to condemn? In other words, you know, who is the judge who actually can condemn people uh, if he wishes? Paul says it's Christ Jesus. And let me remind you, he is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So if you're trusting in Jesus, you know that your judge has already died for you, taking on himself the condemnation you deserve. And now he's risen and back in heaven and his very presence there is a constant reminder to his father to forgive you every sin because he paid for every sin. So that's the first assurance here to those trusting in Jesus. God is for us, so nothing can really be against us. And then the other assurance is this, God's love has us and nothing can make him lose hold of us. We holiday every summer over in the west coast coast of Ireland and I remember when our daughter Ellie was a toddler wave jumping with her at the edge of the sea and compared to her they were quite big waves but I said to her it's okay Uh, I've got you I'm holding on to you and suddenly a really big one came in I lost my grip and she was tumbling in the water with me trying to find her again which reminds me of uh, another of those Mother's Day card quotes that I saw. Nothing is truly lost until a mother can't find it. Well, thankfully, I did find Ellie again looking reproachful in the surf. But the question is whether God is like me in that moment. Is it possible that circumstances that come at us or other people's spiritual powers could pull us out of God's hand? Or as Paul puts it in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is that possible? And if so, who or what could do that? And he lists some possible candidates. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, here's an Old Testament quote, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul was writing this in AD 57, and the previous Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all Jews from Rome uh, and with them most of the Christians because they were mostly Jewish background people. So they knew what it was suddenly to be in trouble and homeless and poor and hated and attacked. And within seven years of Paul writing this, the emperor Nero was having Christians put to death in Rome wholesale. So don't you have to say at that point that God has let go of his people, that they are no longer in his hands, but frighteningly they have fallen into the hands of others, that they have been separated from his love. Well, verse 37, Paul says, no, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, winners plus, 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 through him who loved us. So take what we would probably think was the worst case scenario, the martyr's death in verse 36. What if you're a Christian in Nigeria and you are carried off to your death by Boko Haram? How in that are you more than a conqueror? How are you a winner, plus, 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 in that? Well, because your next conscious experience, as Paul puts it in Philippians, is to be with Christ, which is better by far because you're out of this horrible fallen world. And as we saw last week, you're finally conformed to the image of his son. You're finally glorified. You're finally what you've really wanted to be all your Christian life and where you've really been homesick for all your Christian life. Of course, you leave people behind who've lost you, but you are a winner beyond words. And the truth is you were not for a moment out of God's hands. The BBC may say in their report that, quote, you you, you fell into the hands of Islamists, but the truth is you were always still in God's hands, which as we saw last week, were working those circumstances to bring you to be like Christ and with Christ in glory. And what is true of that worst case scenario is true of all the others that we find ourselves in. So for example, if we have cancer, God has not lost hold of us. We've not fallen out of his hands into the hands of the disease or of the doctors. We are always still in God's hands, which are working our circumstances to bring us to be more like Christ now and on our way to being fully like him and with him in glory. And we can say the same whatever circumstances we're in. So verse 37 to end. No, in, all. These things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what makes you a Christian is that Jesus has loved you by dying for your forgiveness. He's then risen. And he's then taken hold of you by his spirit, creating faith in you. So our faith is like the toddler's hand. And his spirit is like the powerful arm on which our security really depends. And if being a Christian is then like wave jumping in the face of everything that he allows to come at us in life, then verses 38 and 39 say nothing can make him lose hold of us. Nothing. So death won't. The apparent worst case scenario which is actually the way he, he brings us through to the best-case scenario of being finally with him and like him in glory. Life won't, so no circumstance we face right now. Angels nor rulers nor powers won't, which includes spiritual powers of evil, Satan and company. So that's an assurance that God will keep us in the face of our worst besetting temptations that we fear could one day could pull us away. And things present won't, nor things to come. And maybe things to come, the future, with both its knowns and unknowns is what is hardest to trust him with. So for example, Will my faith stand up to all the unknowns of this GCSE and A-Level in uni year? Will my faith stand up to facing a difficult marriage or caring for a child with exceptional needs or a sick spouse? Will my faith stand up to staying single for longer or maybe for good? Will my faith stand up to persecution back in my home country or to what persecution could be like in this country down the tracks? And Paul's answer is yes. Your faith will stand up because it's the result of God taking hold of you and he will not lose hold of you. So if we're trusting in Jesus, then God is for us. So nothing can really be against us. And God's love has us and nothing can make him lose hold of us, which means that we can say with real assurance those words of John Newton in Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Let's pray. Father, as this passage says, what shall we say to these things? Thank you that you are for us and that you have shown that once for all at the cross for us to hold on to amidst our suffering and our sin. And thank you that you have taken hold of us by your spirit and that you will sustain the faith you've created in us all the way to the end. Help us to live in the assurance of Romans 8 in Jesus' name. Amen.